we are in week two of this series called What Happened. Now, for some of you, you knew the beginning of that video that we just watched. Um, it was actually the series that we started 2020 off with, which was Don't Miss It. And I love the subtitle, ready? How to have the best year ever. Like, like sometimes, don't you know that you just miss it? Right, so, so last year, everybody's like, come on, 2020. Come on, everybody had their cool like mission statements, you know, like 2020, year of clarity. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? 2020, year of vision, whatever the case is. And it's like, man, we just got hit by, you know, by a, a truck and <laughs> had no idea what was coming. And um, 2020 did a few things for us. It, uh, I think it kind of shook us and it's, uh, we're continuing to be shaken, but I think it also brought into perspective some of the things that we hold so, so dear to. Some of the things I think as a nation that we've just assumed, a lot of people in our nation just assumed everything's good, everything's fine, but, but there's a rumbling underneath, right? And so what 2020 really did, in my opinion, is 2020 didn't create issues, it just exposed them. It just exposed them. You know, we talked about this last week, but the divorce rate in a lot of countries all over the world and, and even in America is, is kind of skyrocketing. It was already bad enough, but, but divorce rates are going up. And it's like, oh man, look what 2020 did. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like those marriages were already rough. They just were able to get out of the house. You know what I'm saying? And now they had to stay together. And then they, they realized how much they couldn't stand each other. And then they're like, I'm, I'm out, you know? So, so all it did was expose marriages that were already broken, marriages that were just surviving, not thriving. That's all that happened there. You know, and you can take that concept and apply it to a lot of different parts of our life. There's a lot of things that when everything gets shaken, or pressure is applied, it exposes those weaknesses. You can feel all healthy and strong whenever you're just sitting around the house, but what happens whenever you start trying to exercise, right? Like all of a sudden that knee that you thought had healed up, you put some weight on it and it's like, I feel like it's about to like break in half, you know? Um, side note, how many of you guys saw the video of the Buffalo Bills fan yesterday that jumped off the table and land, jumped off the truck and landed on the table and broke his leg? Nope, anybody? Okay, I was hoping like maybe we had more going on there, but no. Uh, anyway, I said about the knee and I couldn't just, if you, in case you don't know, Buffalo Bill fans, they're crazy, all right? They're crazy. And they finally won like the first playoff game in like 50 years. So they're like, just let's just pray for Buffalo. But um, they always jump off the top of like an SUV or something and they land on a table, you know, and, and, and it's just this crazy scene. Well, yesterday a guy tried to do that and uh, no, he did it, he did it. And whenever he hit the table, just... And everybody's like, yeah, and he's like, ah, <laughs> it's like the wrong way, you know? But guess what, man, he probably jumped off that truck a few times, man, he's a big fan. I mean, like, dude, I do this all the time, but not today. He didn't know that every time that he jumped off that SUV, there was micro fractures that were happening. And then one time, bam, psh, he's a Twitter sensation. Uh, but anyway, sometimes that's what we do. We're like, hey man, I'm just gonna do what I always do. And it's just another year, here we go. And then everything gets shaken up and man, we got torn ACLs and we got broken marriages. We got broken things all over the place. And so now here we are, we're turning the, the page into 2021 and we're like, what, expecting something different? I don't know. I don't know. I think the same patterns that apply uh, to our lives apply any year, any time. But we're looking at this year and how can we posture ourselves in these moments, whenever we look around and we say, what happened? What happened? What's some principles that we can, can kind of uh, apply to our life to help us get through these times? And what perspective can we have? And that's why we thought that the book of Job would be a great place to start. Now, in case you don't know about the book of Job, uh, there, there's a book in the Bible and you might actually call it J Job. If you look at it, it looks like Job, but it's, you know, we say Job. And uh, Job is a man that, Basically, all the worst case scenarios happened to him within a matter of days, within a matter of days, all the worst case scenarios. Think about the worst case scenario in your life. Job had that times 10. Like everything that you could think went wrong, went wrong very quickly. And so last week we, we, we kind of looked at his life and said, man, these are moments that Job would say, what happened? And how we do the same thing. And, and what, it, what happens is he loses basically all of his finances. He was a very wealthy man. Uh, he, had, he had a bunch of, I mean, for us, it doesn't really matter, but he had a lot of 
oxen and camels and servants and all kind of stuff. And so he was a wealthy man. And then one day, a bunch of people came in. They ransacked his houses. They ransacked his, his, um, uh, all of his servants. They killed some of them. They burned a bunch of stuff. And they took all of his possessions. And so what happens is a messenger comes up and tells him, hey, man, you just lost all of this. And so he's left saying, well, what happened to all the things that I've been working for? And then another messenger comes up at the same time and says, Job, all 10 of your kids just died. They were all in a house and a, and a storm came and blew the house down and, and it killed all 10 of your kids. And, and in a matter of minutes in that one day, he loses all of his possessions and he loses all of his children. And we find himself, he finds himself at the end of chapter one, uh, somehow miraculously still worshiping God through that, that turmoil. But then we see in chapter two, it just continues, another wave comes. And that's where his, his wife sort of turns on him. His health goes down the tube. His friends show up, but then his friends end up kind of turning on him to a certain extent. And that's really where we're gonna lean into today is what did the conversation look like between Job and his friends? What, was the, what were the questions that they asked but in these moments, we too, as we encounter these tough situations, we ask these questions. What happened? What happened? And another question that we're really gonna talk about today is that we ask is why? Why? When something devastating happens in my life, number one, I wanna know what happened. I wanna have clarity of the situation. Who did what, who said what, why, you know? But then I wanna know why did that happen? Why did they do that or say that? Or why, like, we want these answers, because I guess we feel like we, if we have these answers that it'll satisfy that or, or, or numb that pain or that, that longing for that thing to not have happened, right? But what happened and why? And then we learned that Job was steadfast. He was steadfast and, and there's a few things that he did in these moments where he was honest, he was steadfast and he worshiped. And if you wanna know more about all the things I just kind of skipped over, Last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week. But, but this week, as we move forward, we wanna look back at one scripture that we talked about. And it was at the end of the message and it was James chapter five, verse 10. It says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And, and I think this is where it kind of gets a little bit difficult. You have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, how can we say that? You know, how can we see the purpose and the compassion and the mercy of the Lord in Job's story? Like, how do you put those two things together? If anything, we might say you could see the judgment or the harshness or the, 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 the unloving side of God, which is, doesn't make any theological sense right there, but, but these are the questions that come up whenever we, we read scriptures like this or read stories like this. And, and honestly, we all have a lot of questions. And I think questions are great. Um, I honestly, the way that I look at, at, at even preparing sermons a lot of times is, is I look at, at what questions would I or someone else be asking about these scriptures or this topic? I just think that way. Um, I'm kind of more of an analyst and I look at stuff and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you say that, but what about this angle, right? Like, like even in the, the way that I think, I'm always asking questions about the way that I think. And at times what that actually does, and maybe you're like me, it almost destabilizes you from knowing really what you believe at all because you ask so many questions that you find yourself sort of like in limbo. And we have a lot of questions. The problem is, is that we have a lot of bad questions. We ask bad questions a lot of times. Our questions are based upon our perspective and have implications attached to them, right? So, so it's not that you have a question, it's, it's how you're asking that question that matters. And often the way that we ask questions leads ourselves to certain conclusions. And we see this around us a lot. Um, if you guys ever been watching a press conference or something like that, you got a person standing up in front of a podium and you just got, you know, just the media or whoever is just out there and they're just asking questions. And whenever somebody asks a question, have you ever kind of said this by yourself? Like, now why'd you have to ask it like that? Like the way that that person asked that question, it's really, it was a leading question. 
and, and have you ever had somebody ask you a question about your own self? Like, like, and they, they imply your motives or they imply your intentions or they, they're saying something about your character in the way that they ask that question and you feel it, it's a valid question, but why did you have to, to put it like that? Come on, you know, if, you, if you're a, a lawyer and, and you're questioning a witness, a lot of times you'll see somebody, uh, you know, objection, leading the witness or whatever they would say at that moment. I'm the farthest thing from a lawyer, but at that moment they would, you know, you're, you're, you're leading the witness on and then objection sustained, blah, 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 blah. Why? Because they said a couple of words in that question that was leading that witness to say a certain thing or admit guilt or some sort of thing. So we ask questions a lot of times, but a lot of times these questions are, they're just bad questions or they're leading questions. And, you know, it's sort of like you're, um, you're, you're placing blame on somebody by the way you ask it. It's sort of like if you, you, know, you walk up and there's a empty, you have a nice bowl of M&Ms that you usually reach for and then the, the M&Ms are all gone and uh, you know, your spouse is there. Well, the question that you're gonna ask is, did you eat all the M&Ms? Well, you just implied a lot of things in that question, right? The first question would be, hey, did, did you eat anything today? <laughs> you know, like maybe, maybe lead there. But what happens whenever you just go for the jugular in that moment? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? I don't have self-control. Like what, you know, like, yeah, you ate all the M&Ms and I know that you did. See what I'm saying? But it's a leading question. Now, how does this apply when it comes to theological questions? What does this sound like? We ask bad questions about society, about the world, about the word, about God. We ask bad questions all the time. And a lot of times we don't even see the implications of what we're saying when we say it. For instance, why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? Or why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? You know, bad or good, it's interchangeable. It's a, it's a bad question, even though I ask it, and I have asked it, it's still a bad question because it implies certain things. Number one, it implies that there are good people and bad people, which for us as Christians, biblically speaking, we know that all of us have the same starting point, which is we're all born in sin. We're all broken. We're all unrighteous. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So whenever you say bad and good, I need to know what do you mean by bad and good? Like you're talking about just behavior are you talking about like the core condition of humanity? Because the way that I look at it is that there's nobody that's actually pure and good. Nobody that is actually holy in and of themselves. So right there, we have a question of, well, I mean, what do you, I mean, what do you mean good or bad? But then it's what does God allow? So now we're getting into you making a decision or a call on God's justice or God's decision or the fact that God allowed it or caused it to happen. Now we're getting into a deeper conversation about God's character. So we ask this question a lot. And a lot of people ask this question. A lot of people who, who don't believe in God, they want to go for these types of questions, but you have a, that's a different, a different starting point. And you're implying certain things that don't need to be implied or are just wrong. It also implies that God is not in control. Whenever we ask, why did, God, why did you allow that to happen? At times, we even might think that God, it was out of his control to stop, or if I was in his place, I would have made a different decision. And we're gonna dig deeper into this in just a moment. But these are the real questions that we have. And I would say, again, I believe we mentioned it last week, but probably the most intense question that anybody can ask is, it's the, it's the problem of suffering. It's the problem of suffering. We look around our world and we see the videos. We just saw some up on the screen a second ago. We see these videos, we see these images. We read in history. You know, things might be bad now, but guys, look, in, in the whole scope of history, things are actually really good, comparatively speaking. Now, there's still a lot of pain and there's a lot of things that we, we will never know about that are going on right now, but, but still in regards to, I mean, right now, if you break your arm, you can go to a hospital. You can get some help, right? Like these are great things. You know, I was, I was talking, we talked about the guy who tore his ACL on the table earlier, but I was talking to somebody just the other day. I said, man, if you, if you tore your knee back in war back in the day, right? What did you do? You just suffered. 
Now it's like, okay, we call the specialist, we, get, we schedule the surgery, we do this, we do that, and, and, and blah, 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 and we get it to where we can walk again. That wasn't always an option. I'm just saying, like in the whole scope of history, there's some things now that are really good, but yet we still see suffering and brokenness, and this pulls out of us these questions. But our questions expose our perspective and our beliefs. It exposes it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked a question and then you backed away from it and you realized whenever you asked that question, why you were asking it the way that you asked it? You're like, wow, I didn't even notice my motives were hidden in those words. So our questions actually expose those things. And so what we wanna do really quick is I wanna look back at some of the questions and the perspectives that Job's three friends had. Number one was Eliphaz in Job 4, 7. Again, let's picture what's going on. Job is sick. He's got boils all over his body. He has maggots in, in, the, in these sores. He, he was messed up. He's lost all of his money. He's lost his kids. His wife has turned on him. He's sitting in the dust. His friends show up. They sit with him for seven days and seven nights and don't say anything. And then unfortunately, they started talking. They started saying stuff, you know. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all, but they begin to talk. Job 4, 7, Eliphaz says, consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have, as I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. He's implying that Job must have done something wrong. And his perspective is that you're, if you're suffering, you can't be innocent. That means if something bad happened to you, you must have, you must have done something to deserve it. It's very much a perspective uh, rooted in karma. And we have this problem in our nation and, and specifically in the church of seeing life through this lens of karma. Be good, you get good, right? And, and, and this whole pattern gets formed in our thinking. And that's, that's what's thrown on Job with Eliphaz. Number two, Bildad in verse, uh, chapter eight, verse three, he says, does God pervert justice or does the almighty pervert the right? If your children, he's talking about his kids who have just died, which just sounds so insensitive, right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgressions. Job, your kids, obviously they did something wrong, so they must have deserved it. And so therefore, Job, since you're upset about it, you must have the wrong view of God's response to their sin. You see the, the, the perspective in these questions and how they're building this? And, and of course, we know based upon what we talked about last week that God did not send this upon Job. Bildad is wrong. This isn't judgment. So it's a bad perspective. And he goes on, this isn't on the screen, but verse five, he says, if you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you're pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. So then he says, Job, you've obviously done something. Your kids obviously did something. So, so therefore, if you will repent, if you will, if you will change your ways, then God will bless you again. And, and if you notice at the end, let me make sure I say this right your rightful habitation. Basically, all of your material possessions will be restored if you do this the right way. That's another version of Christianity that people tap into. If you don't have a lot of stuff, it's because maybe God's displeased with you. And so if you please him and you do things that he likes, then he'll give you a lot of money and a lot of things. It's prosperity gospel, right? We see it in Job, one of the oldest books in the Bible. From the beginning, it's like appease the gods and they will give good things to you. And this, this, a lot of these three friends, their perspective of God was built around the cultural understanding of the gods. And that has just trans, uh, uh, been uh, communicated and passed down for all these generations. And, and here we are reading this and we can see ourselves in it. Oh, he doesn't have a nice car. He must not be living right. Right? I play golf a lot and uh, I love golf. And um, I'm okay at it. It's one of those sports that you're, you never actually say you're good at golf because there's always somebody who can just wipe the floor with you, you know? But, uh, but what, we, <laughs> what happens is, you know, you, whenever you, you hit the ball, I mean, it goes all over the place. You know what I'm saying? It goes all over the place. And uh, every now and then you get what we call a member's bounce, which is the ball goes into the woods. You, you listen at that point because you can't see it. Right? You listen and you hear crack 
because you hit a tree or something. And then there's this moment when you stare down the fairway and you're hoping to see that little white ball just like bounce back in. You know what I'm talking about? And every now and then, guess what happens? Miraculously, the ball bounces back in the fairway. And we always say something, man, you must be living right. You know, and if the ball doesn't come back in the fairway, it's like, man, you ain't living right. You know, and, and that's a joke, but there's so many people who live life like that. If something bad happened to you, you ain't living right. Now, what we reap, we sow in certain things, right? Of course, but, but, but here, Bill Dad's trying to like, by the way, that's just a weird name to say like it's just like a normal name, Bill Dad. I mean, anyway, so, but he's trying to imply this type of, of thinking and it's just wrong. The next one, Zophar, Chapter 11, verse two, he says, should a multitude of words go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Basically, Job, God should have done more to you. You deserve worse than what you got. What great friends, am I right? <laughs> Come on, get some, get some Zophars and Bildads and Eliphazes in your life. They are uh, very honest and loving, but he's saying Job deserved worse than he got. Now, I would encourage you to go read this book because I think a lot of you have a lot of questions that if you would read this book, the friends and the, and the conversation between Job and his friends would actually express some of the things that you feel in your own heart about the questions that you have. We don't have enough time to go deeper into those things, but I wanna fast forward to chapter 38 because God doesn't say anything for basically the whole book. You have these terrible things that have happened to Job, very tough situation. God is silent. And I wanted to say this. I think for a lot of you, that's where you're at right now. You, you, maybe some things in your life have hit the fan. Maybe it hit the fan years ago and you're still in this, this pause, this plateau, this season where there's no movement. And you're sitting, you're sitting there looking back saying, what happened? And you're having a lot of conversations. You're saying a lot of words, but it's still not gaining any traction in your life. And at some point you end up stopping and just straight up saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you saying anything? Why aren't you answering anything? It's been, it's been 10 years. I've been praying the same prayer and there's no movement. And I think about the book of Job. 38 chapters. We don't know exactly how long, but it wasn't just one day, you know? Like from the time that chapter one and chapter, uh, between chapter one and chapter two, we don't know that time period. That could have been three years, right? And then we, we know that, that Job is sitting there with his friends for seven days, and then we know they had this giant conversation for one day, but, but all in all, we don't know. It could, have been, it could have been months. It could have been a couple of years, but God isn't saying anything. I talked Wednesday night at our first Wednesday service, I talked about this rhythm, this life cycle in our life where we start things and, and we're excited about the start of things. And then, then as it grows, whether it's a business or our marriage or our kids or whatever the case is in our life or schooling, we're excited about the start and then it begins to grow and mature. And then at some point it kind of levels off and there's this season of plateau and that season could be long, it could be short, it depends on what the conversation is about, but inevitably in a lot of the things in our life, there's a season that comes after the plateau, it's the dip. It's where there's no momentum, and it's where things seem to, to be super negative and, and kind of falling off the cliff, and a lot of times this is where we ask the question, what happened and why, and it was so good just a few years ago or months ago, and now it just seems like there's no hope. But then there's this moment, this fork in the road, where it could be a moment, literally a moment. It could be a couple of decisions. It could be a conversation, but there's a fork in the road that then either leads to another season of growth or a season of decline. And here in Job's life, this is a fork in the road moment because God's about to speak. And here's the deal. If you were going through all of these negative things in your life and God's about to speak, wouldn't you expect, come on, in our cultural view of God, that he would just pour love onto Job, that he would just pour kindness and, and grace, and Job, I'm here to support you, and I got your back, Job, and man, this is what I'm doing, Job. Like, don't fear, do not fear, Job, something like that. 
Well, let's read what God said. Chapter 38, verse one. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Well, that's, that's a different way of kind of expressing yourself, right? Out of a whirlwind. <laughs> Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Not what I was expecting. I was expecting something just a, a little bit more soft, not a whirlwind, and then a question like that. Basically, who is trying to talk about stuff they don't know about? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I'm gonna ask you some questions. You guys have, have said so many words and said so many things, and all of you have your ideas about what's going on, so I'm gonna ask some questions, and then you, you tell me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Right there, you can imagine all the friends, everybody's just kind of going like. You ever been in the classroom, you know what I'm talking about? Everybody's talking and everybody's like, <laughs> whatever. And then all of a sudden the teacher stands up and, and they say something like, everybody be quiet. And everybody's like, yeah, you get that moment. I, I picture this right here. Job and his friends, Elihu, another guy that talked right before God starts speaking. They all feel so confident what they've said. And then all of a sudden, a whirlwind shows up and God speaks and basically says, hey guys, where were all of you whenever I formed the mountain? Where were, where were all of you whenever I did this? And he goes on and on and on. And you could read the chapter yourself. Where were you? See, Job, his friends, none of them understood because they couldn't understand and they weren't meant to fully understand what it was that God was doing and why things were happening. Since the beginning of time, we humans, we've always wanted to know why. How many of you have asked the question why in the last week? Come on, you, you watched something, something happened and you were like, why? Why? We have always wanted to know why. From the beginning, Adam and Eve, they wanted to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. We want to know more than we're supposed to know. We want to know more than we have the capacity to retain and handle emotionally and psychologically. We want to know it all. It's what's eating us in half when it comes to news and, 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 and social media. We are too exposed, but we want more. Something could happen in the, like the middle of Africa or in the middle of who, Russia. And in like 10 minutes, we know, and we know the people's names and we could Google them and we can like go read the history of what happened in that area. Like it's too much, y'all but we wanna know more and we wanna know why. We wanna, we wanna figure it out. We wanna figure it out, man. We ask questions that we aren't supposed to know and we come to conclusions that we aren't supposed to come to. Even Jesus, before he went on the cross and he knew the suffering that he was going to endure, he basically asked God, if there, is there another way other than this cup of suffering? And then there's a pause and we don't see an answer from God. He says, and then Jesus says, nevertheless, your will, not mine, be done. We all have this thing in us that says why, but it's a bad question. It's a bad question. Instead of asking God, why is this happening to me? We should ask God, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in me? The Bible talks about how suffering produces hope. And I know if you're like me, you're like, how does suffering equal hope? It makes no sense. Well, let's read the word, Romans chapter five. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, Christ-like character with Christ-like perspective. And character like that produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame. Not this type of hope. Not hope founded in Jesus does not put us to shame. Why? How do we have this hope? Because God's love has been poured out 
into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering, if we suffer well and we suffer in Jesus, at the end of the day, it produces hope, an everlasting hope that cannot be put to shame. This is the only hope that will sustain. This is why we talked about this in December, in Advent. Come on, y'all. This is the hope that is only found in Jesus. All other hope is temporary. All other hope runs out of gas. It is the way it is. It's always been like this and it will always be like this. Jesus is hope. Now, back to God's response. Why would God answer Job in this way? Come on, that's a good why question, right? Why would God ask or answer Job in this way? It doesn't make any sense to our emotions. And this is, this is my answer. Because there were things that Job needed to hear, not things that Job wanted to hear. Think about it for a second. In this moment, Job and his friends, they wanted a certain answer. They wanted an answer to why. And God answered them like on a completely different chapter. Why? Because there was things that they wanted to hear, but there was one thing that they needed to hear and Job needed to hear. And what Job needed to hear, he needed to hear, he needed to hear God describe his glory and his power and his sovereignty and his control and his love and his grace. He needed God to describe who he was. That's what he needed. He didn't need an answer to why. He didn't need it. He actually, he didn't need an answer to why his kids were taken away from him. He didn't need the answer of why and what happened in the way that he was asking it to, to his finances. He didn't need to know those answers. What he needed to know was that God was with them and in control. What he needed to do was trust God. How do we know that that's what Job needed to hear? How, how, Jordan, how can you say that? Well, let's look at how Job responded and we'll see. Chapter 42, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself. The way that I was thinking, who I, the way that I've been painting you, Lord, I, I despise that. And I repent in dust and ashes. Now, this moment is tough because how God answered Job could come across unloving and ungracious. However, it was exactly what Job needed. God knows you, sees you, hears your prayers. His timing is never gonna be like your timing. And the way that he responds is more than likely never gonna be how you want him to respond. Sometimes we pray for something and the answer is no. And at that moment, we obviously have assumed some people quit God in these moments because they assume that the answer should be yes because it seems like a positive thing. And it's just not the case. The men that we read in the word of God who inspire us, give us you know, grace and, and faith through these times, these men, a lot of these men, their lives ended in pain and suffering and disappointment. And so we read their words about how suffering produces hope but when it comes down to it, we don't want the hope that comes with suffering. We wanna somehow circumvent these things. It's just not the case. And this is actually, if you're looking at this from the right angle, this should be encouraging the fire out of you, not depressing you, not discouraging you, but, but something that is filling you up to sustain you. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you have walked through things and you're on the other side of it. And honestly, you should be shouting me down right now because you're like, it's true. It's true. It won't sell many books nowadays. 
right? People might not retweet all the stuff that we're talking about today because it's just, I don't know, if you're scrolling on Facebook, it's not that inspiring. (laughs) But this is the root, man. We must trust God. Job repented and submitted to God. His, His situation didn't change, but his heart did. His situation didn't change. His circumstances didn't change. But his view of God and his submission to God did. And so many of you today, you're asking questions. They're hard questions. They're valid questions. I'm not being insensitive. It's tough. The last thing I want to say is this. I want to use my kids as an example. I have a, I have a nine-year-old now and almost a uh, three-year-old in like a week and a couple of days, almost a three-year-old. And something happens like daily between me and, me and Aideen, daily. Inevitably, one of them or both of them at the same time are gonna ask for something, okay? I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be a cookie, it could be the iPad, it could be to watch a movie, it could be to go outside, it could be to eat. It, like, literally, it doesn't matter what it is. There's always something, there's always a question. And sometimes they ask for something and we obviously say no. I say sometimes, I would say the majority of times. <laughs> they get a no or they get a wait. I'm, I, I'm talking to your mom right now. How many of you, your kids, you don't say a word to each other for six hours, you and your spouse? And then you say, hey, babe. And your kids are like, <laughs> mom, 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 hey, hey, mom. And I'm like, we have literally been sitting here doing nothing and you had ample opportunity to speak to either of us for a long period of time. But the moment that we decide to like, I don't know, be a married couple again, you have something to say. It's amazing. It's amazing. I've been holding back a little bit with the kids stories because Ariana's been in, in here with us. But now she's in, she's in five through nine. And so <laughs> I'm gonna allow me to process with you through, <laughs> we love our kids. But but they ask these questions and we're like, you know, no or wait. And with the three-year-old, with Elin, she likes to, you know, throw herself on the ground sometimes, which I am not a fan of at all. You get up right now. You know what I'm talking about? The voice drops to the lower register. Get up. And uh, anyway, so, so you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a certain type of response. She throws her hands up in the air. She gets mad, whatever. Ariana, she's nine years old. It might be a little bit different question, right? And, and her response is a little bit more mature. It's usually like this. <sighs> I'm talking about, what's up with the shoulder slump? <laughs> we, we mock her a lot. We make fun of her and she gets mad at us for that. We're like, oh, <sighs> you know? And, um, but you got like three-year-old questions and then you got like nine-year-old questions. Hey, can I go to so-and-so's house? Or, hey, can I... Can I watch that movie? Or, or, hey, can I download that game? You know, whatever. The questions get a little bit more like, okay, I need to explain some of the, the yes and no's to you. But sometimes it's no. For instance, Ari wanted to, to play this game the other day, and, and it was just, it was a, a game for older kids, you know, 14 or whatever uh, and up. And, and anyway, I was like, I said no. And she was like, well, well, you know, my friends play this, and they do this, and da, 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 da. And I couldn't explain to her why I was saying no because of the content that was in that movie or in that game, because she's too young, right? She's nine, you know, she, she's almost old enough to know about everything, unfortunately, you know, <laughs> nowadays. But anyway, you know, it, it, but, but there's this thing of like, I know something that you don't know, and this is why I'm giving you this answer, but I don't expect you to know it. You just have to accept it. And later on, whenever you're older, you'll look back and thank me for saying no at this moment because you realize what I protected you from, Right? That is what a loving father looks like. An unloving father is like, yeah, do whatever you want. Sure. Every time that Elon cries and wants this, you want a cookie? Yeah. You want another cookie? Yeah. You want another cookie? Yeah. 12 cookies later, she's sick, right? What a horrible parent. As we get older, the questions become more difficult The questions are harder to ask and formulate and the questions a lot of times are coming from a place of pain. 
but the answers and the rhythm is exactly the same. In your walk with God, you are going to encounter seasons, moments, questions that you really wanna know the answer to and you, you either get wait, no, maybe a yes, right, sometimes, and sometimes just nothing. And it's in those moments that are we going to throw ourselves on the ground and throw a fit? You know what I'm saying? Are we gonna slump our shoulders and pout and walk off? Or are we going to say, you're a good dad, you love me, and I don't understand it, but it's because I wasn't really supposed to. It's very difficult, I know, but it's what it looks like to trust God. In the midst of pain, those what happened moments, I wanna encourage you to ask what, not why. What, not why. What are you doing in me, Lord, and what are you working out of me, God? Let me pray for you. God, you know all of our situations in our lives right now, Father. You know all of the questions that we ask. You know all of those what happened moments. God, you heard our prayers whenever we are alone by ourselves, and, and we ask why. God, there's some things that we pray to you by ourselves that Lord, we would never say to anyone. We would never say publicly. We would never, we would not, not let anybody know that we're feeling those feelings or saying those things because God, it's just, it just sounds bad. And, and Lord, we almost are ashamed of that. But Father, right now, we bring to you these hard questions. We bring to you these, these moments that we've been really wanting an answer for for a long time. The pain, the suffering, the doubt, the unbelief. Even those moments, moments where we look at our friends or our family and we say, God, why did you bless them so seemingly? Or, and, and why have you not blessed me? Why did... God, I've been praying for a child for so long and, and you've blessed them, but you haven't blessed me. God, I've been working at my job consistently and Lord, I, I just feel like I'm at a dead end, but God, I've, I've, I've been acting right. I've been treating my boss right, but it seems like the environment's not changing. Father, I've, I've done what I thought you told me to do and I've trusted you and it just seems like what I see is just not where I thought it, it needs to be. And God, I'm frustrated. Some of you, it's, it's, those, it's those relationships in your life. They're broken. And it's almost like an avalanche that has started to fall. And, and you, you're like, God, I wanna see it restored. I wanna see my marriage restored. God, I wanna see that relationship with my kid restored. That lifelong friend, but God, it's just, it seems too broken. Father, we ask for your grace and your mercy, your perspective, your wisdom. Ultimately, God, I pray that you would help us in this moment to see you as sovereign, to see you as loving, all loving, all knowing, all powerful. And God, ultimately, we together, all here today watching online, we ask not why, but what are you doing in us? What are you working out of us, God? Come on, in your own words, just right now, say, Father, would you help me to see what you're doing in me? Help me to see it, Lord. Put your frustration aside right now. Put, put your doubt aside and say, God, what are you doing in me? I pray for healing in this room today. I pray for restoration in our view of God. Lord, help us to see you as good and holy. Some of you today are, are watching or you're in this room and you are far from God. You, you know about God. You've been around church a lot. You've even read the Bible before. But you know that you actually have no real reciprocation with God. You don't have a relationship. You've just been a part of some sort of religion and there's no power to it. There's no love in it. And it's definitely not something that you bring to other people because you haven't experienced the power of it. But today, through the, through the worship, the time that we sang together, through this message, there's something inside of you that's tugging on you, pulling you. And today I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to that. And it's the love of Jesus.
If you're in this place today and you wanna get saved, you wanna respond to God, everybody's heads are bowed, everybody's eyes are closed. And if that's you, would you mind just raising your hand? I just simply wanna pray with you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. Is there anybody here today who wanna choose to follow Jesus? I see you back there. Yes, sir. Over here, yes, ma'am. See, I see three right here in this section over here. Yes. I see you, ma'am, right back there. Yes. Anybody else? Come on, maybe you've you followed God before, but like this season, that, that dip I was talking about, like that's where you've been and you're at a crossroads. Am I gonna continue to follow Jesus or am I gonna quit? Maybe this is like your last resort today. You're like, I'm just gonna go to church. Maybe I'm just gonna watch online and see if there's something that's said that matters. Maybe that's you. Is there anybody here? I just wanna pray with you. I see you over here. Yes. Come on, let's pray together. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And I really would like everybody to, to, to echo this prayer, to repeat after me. Just say, Lord, I come before you. Come on, say just a little bit louder. Lord, I come before you humbly and broken. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace and I need your mercy. And I thank you for the cross where the price of sin was paid. I receive your righteousness and your forgiveness in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, look, today, many of you prayed that prayer, some of you for the first time, some of you for maybe the 10th time. And I want you to know that that's like basically you just started the car. You just started your relationship with God or maybe you restarted, you had, to get, you had a dead battery, you had to get a new battery. But today, as you leave this place, we're gonna give you some instruction here in a moment of what we'd love to see you do. But as you leave this place, you are leaving with a newfound grace, a newfound power, a newfound trust in Jesus. And all of us together here today, I believe that our perspective has been aligned, that, that just like Job repented, and he said, I haven't been thinking right. Maybe for some of us, it's like, I repent. I haven't been thinking right. I've been asking bad questions. And let's go out in this place today, from this place today, asking good questions. Y'all with me? Come on, let's stand to our feet. We're gonna sing from the bridge on through the chorus of this last song, singing in the victory. And I think it's so important for us to respond in these moments where we've had some hard issues that we can look to Jesus and worship Him, amen? So come on, let's sing this together.
we thank you for your victory, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, that your victory sometimes doesn't look like our victory, Lord Jesus. We just praise you for today. We just thank you so much, God. Just, I'm so glad that you guys joined us today. Just what an amazing message. Like what a perspective shift. And I'm so grateful for a God who chooses to give us what we need instead of what we ask for. Because so many times we're asking for things we don't really need because we don't understand. Yeah. And our perspective just has to switch to his perspective. So I'm super excited for everybody who raised their hand when Pastor Jordan gave us a chance to decide to change our perspective and to come underneath God's perspective and God's covering and God's calling. If that was you today, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of Northwood. We could not be more excited. That's why we are here day in and day out so that more people can come to know the love of Jesus. That is our primary goal and we're so excited for you. If you're one of those people or if you're here for the first time, there's a next steps card that's in the seat back in front of you. Please fill that out. Um, and you can take it to the next steps area in the back. If you're online, you can fill it out online. I'm gonna encourage you to take one more step. If you did receive Christ this morning, fill this out instead of bringing it back there, come up here. We're gonna have prayer partners up here after service. Let someone pray with you. Tell them what happened that you received Christ and let someone stand behind you and hold your hand and walk through you with it, through this with you so that you have another level when you leave today, that this isn't something that you've done on your own, but that you've left today having joined the family of Christ and partnered with somebody else who can help you walk that out. Um, speaking of partnership, we partner with a bunch of amazing ministries here at Northwood. You guys are a very generous church and I love being part of that. And we're partnering with several ministries, one of which is the Women's Resource Center. Every time you give, whether you're giving online or whether you're um, giving here today or whether you're mailing it in, you're giving to some great things. The Women's Resource Center um, is a center that helps women when they are experiencing unplanned pregnancies. And you guys, this may not seem like a big deal to you, but this is a huge deal. These women are coming into the Women's Resource Center um, with the basically the decision that they're not going to keep their child. And so they come into the resource center and they're being equipped and served for free and encouraged to make a positive choice for Christ. Everyone who walks through those doors this year, y'all, 70% of the women chose this year not to have an abortion, but instead to bring life to their child and allow somebody to live. Y'all, we are partnered with some amazing things and it's an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. I'm so glad y'all joined us today. Thank you for being part of the Northwood family. Y'all have a great day.